I'm so grateful that we get to follow Jesus, who the Bible calls the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Emmanuel, Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, the Bread of Life, the Light of the World, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Door for His Sheep, the Shepherd who lays out His life for His lambs, the Vine who gives fruit to His branches, the Word of God made flesh, the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End, the Resurrection, and the Life, the Prince of the Kings of the earth, the amen, the root of David, the man-child, the beginning of God's creation, he who holds the double-edged sword, and he who wields the bright and morning star. His name's Jesus, and we have an awesome king that we get to celebrate this weekend. Isn't that true? We do. One of my favorite things about Jesus is he shows us exactly what God looks like. You, You remember that Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. All of these attributes that we love about Jesus are reflective of who God the Father is. So when you see Jesus forgiving a prostitute, when you see Jesus hanging out with Benedict Arnold trader tax collectors and inviting himself over for dinner, when you see Jesus taking little kids, you know, these little ankle biters, and he takes up a kid in his arms and he blesses that child, when the disciples are telling the kids to scram, when you see that Jesus is healing lepers and multiplying a kid's Power Ranger lunchbox to feed 5,000 hungry stomachs. When you see Jesus saying, if, if, if you lay down your life for your friend, no greater love can you ever show. And then right after that, he died on a cross, obeying his own teaching, laying down his life for friend and foe alike. God says, that's what I look like. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now check this out. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going to get a little deep here for a second. In Colossians 1.15, Paul the Apostle says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, that word for image in the Greek language in which the Bible was originally written in the New Testament, that word for image is icon. E-I-K-O-N. Back in Paul's generation, that simply meant portrait. So if I was going to paint your portrait, I would say I'm painting your icon right now. It's actually, though, the nearest ancient Greek equivalent to our word for photograph. So you could actually correctly translate as a 21st century millennial, Colossians 1.15, by saying Jesus is the photograph That's what icon means. He is the photograph of the invisible God. That's why Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know how a son is often in the spitting image of his father? Jesus is like the image, the spitting image, the photograph, the icon of God. Now, when did the photograph of God develop the most completely? When did we see most clearly the picture of who God was? It was when Jesus was crucified. Does anybody remember what happened to the sky when Jesus was crucified? What happened to the sky when Jesus died on the cross? Go ahead, say it out loud. What happened to the sky? It went dark, that's right. Now, are any of you into like old-fashioned photography? You know how if you want to develop a picture, where do you have to take that picture? Into the dark room. Listen, Jesus was in the dark room of Golgotha when the sky went dark, and that's when he, as the photograph of God, developed 
who God is the most clearly. The icon, the photograph of God developed in the dark room when the sky went black at Golgotha. He says, God loves you this much as he stretches out his arms. For God demonstrated his love. He is love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, as we walk with God, we can know that for us too, life is like photography. We develop from the negatives. The very bad things that we're going through now, God is working together for our good. Let me say that again. Life is like photography. We develop from the negatives. Why? Because we know that God looks like Jesus, and Jesus says that our God is our Father. Now, now this is so appropriate for our first session together, because this... This is not about me. This is not about you. This is about Jesus and his heavenly father and the power of his Holy Spirit. We're going to consider today what it means that God is our father. Now, why would we talk about God being our father for our first session? Because what is today? Father's Day. So let's take a look at what Paul has to say about God being our father as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He writes this in Galatians 4, 6. He says, and because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You say, what does that mean? We cry out to God, Abba, Father. Well, the word Abba is the Aramaic word for dad. It's expressive of an especially close relationship to God. You can translate that word Abba as Papa. We get to say to God, Papa, Father, now. If you're a Greek, Roman, or Jew, hearing Paul the Apostle declare this, if you're listening to Jesus say that God is a father, this is going to be incredibly iconoclastic, subversive, revolutionary, innovative, inventive, totally new. Because in Paul's generation, you have to understand that nobody looked at God as a father. Oh, technically, sometimes they would call the gods fathers, for instance, um, the Greeks called Zeus the father of the gods and of all people. The Romans, as part of their mythology, you may learn this in high school, the Romans had as their chief god, Jupiter. The word Jupiter literally means Deus, pater. Deus means God. Pater means father. So they spoke of Zeus and Jupiter and their gods as being fathers. But when they spoke of the gods as fathers, they were speaking in terms of paternity. In other words, that these gods created humans. Just like your dad on this Father's Day, you get to celebrate him because a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, he made you. Your dad created you with your mom. So... Listen, when the Greeks and the Romans, I don't know if you knew that, maybe that's totally a new idea that your dad created you with your mom, but you can ask them about the birds and the bees later. I'm not doing Song of Solomon tonight, if you're picking up what I'm throwing down. But. So when they spoke of the gods as fathers, they meant that the gods created humans. But listen, that same word that the Greeks and Romans used of the gods as being fathers was the same word that they could use of a dad who created a child and never saw that child again. When Jesus spoke of God as Father, he said, your Father cares so much about you that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He said, if one sparrow falls from the sky, the Father knows. How much more does your Heavenly Father care for you? For you're of much more value than many sparrows. 
Jesus said, if your earthly parents want to give you good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father want to give the Holy Spirit and good gifts when you ask? So Jesus didn't just talk about God as a father that created you, but a father who's actually there for you, a father who's got your back, a a dad who has close intimacy, affection, and fellowship, a tight-knit bond with his kids. So this is good news if you're a Greek or a Roman, but not only if you're in that culture, I mean, if you're a Jew, and you hear that God is Abba, Papa, Father, this would have been totally new. I mean, if you're a Jew and you're hearing Jesus and Paul say that God is Papa, you're going to say, Jesus, Paul, you're cuckoo for your Cocoa Puffs, man. You got smog in the noggin. You're loco in la cabeza. You're crazy. God's not Father. You have to remember the Jewish people, they believe that if you see God, you will die. That's what they said. You remember when Manoah, who was to be the father of Samson, he, he was visited by a strange guest, and upon the realization of who that guest was, Manoah said, we have seen God and must surely die. If you were the high priest on the Day of Atonement, you could enter into the Holy of Holies, which was held to be the place where the presence of God dwelt, but that was only one day a year if you were a son of Aaron. But Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 2.18 says that through him, speaking of Jesus, we have access to the Father. Because something happened when Jesus was crucified. Not only did the sky go dark, but do you remember what also happened in the temple? What happened in the temple? Say it out loud when Jesus was crucified. The veil was torn from top to bottom. The Father up in heaven is rending that veil symbolically, saying, there is no barrier between my presence, the Holy of Holies, and the common people. You can come boldly to my throne of grace and actually call me Papa. So Paul says in Romans 8, 15, in perfect synchronicity, echoing this sentiment, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, because we know God is our Father. We don't got to be scared of nothing, friends, because we know that the God who created penguins and wombats and flamingos and subatomic particles that make quantum leaps and rainbows and waterfalls and canis majoris and peacocks, the God who created everything in the universe, he says, I'm your dad. Suddenly I'm like, I ain't scared of nothing, son. That's why, listen, that's why the Bible says that we are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. We are more than conquerors is the words that Paul uses because we get to take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, which can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, fight a good fight, wage a good warfare, and go hunt some demons. We get to put to flight the forces of darkness and do a dent in the empire of evil because we got the God of the universe on our side. You picking up what I'm throwing down there? We're not scared anymore because God's our father. Now, if you don't believe that God's your Abba daddy who loves you more than words could possibly express, you're going to be scared of everything, man. Like, it's not just the big future that you're going to be scared of. It's even the small stuff. I don't know if you're like me, but I have bad OCD. Like in my man purse right over here, I have to carry Purell because I just wash my hands all the time. 
And if I don't think God's got my back, suddenly I'm scared of everything. I'll be eating bacon, and I'm like, oh, no, God, there's a hair in my bacon. God's like, Ben, you're eating bacon, and there's a pig in your food, and that's what you're worried about right now? Seriously, even the small stuff, you're going to sweat, but not when you know that God is your papa. So, in light of today being Father's Day, can I tell you a story about my dad? My dad, he's just bomb.com, man. My dad has the coolest laugh ever. He's got this awesome Santa Claus laugh. This just deep belly Santa Claus laugh. He sounds a lot like James Earl Jones. He, he was, James Earl Jones was the guy who did the voice of Darth Vader. Luke, I am your father. How, how many of you are excited about the upcoming Star Wars? I can't wait for episode seven. So my dad sounds like this James Earl Jones deep voice. You know, he has got this awesome belly laugh. When I go through the Taco Bell drive-thru, I'm like, could I get six Doritos Locos Tacos, please? And they say, is there anything else you would like, ma'am? I'm like, did you just call me ma'am just now through the drive-thru? I'm like, if you don't know, don't guess. Gender neutral, please. Come on. Man. So I didn't inherit my dad's voice. But my dad, he's got like this awesome belly laugh, this deep voice. Now, you would think everything was airy-fairy, happy, clappy, hunky-dory, castles and pie in the sky, wishy-washy, a-okay with my dad. You would think nothing ever bad happened to him. But here's the thing. My dad has gone through hell. Like, when my dad was my age, his wife died in a car accident. Then a few years later, my dad's oldest daughter, my sister, died in a different car accident. And you would think he'd be like gloomy Gus, doom and gloom merchant, super depressed, never able to laugh, hating life. But the funny thing is my dad has so much joy. My dad shows me what my heavenly father's like. He can have joy through tragedy. Why? Because he believes that we're all blood brothers and blood sisters by the blood of Jesus. And we all share the same father. And one day, the Father is going to throw us all a heavenly reunion, and we're all going to see each other again. And he believes that God views us with rose-colored lenses. By rose-colored lenses, I mean Jesus' blood-covered lenses. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. He sees us with love, according to the New Testament. And just as my earthly father can rejoice and be filled with laughter, so too on this Father's Day for this first night of camp... It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about who our Heavenly Father is. And no matter what we go through, we always have hope. Friends, we can say today, Genesis 50, 20, because God's my Father, what the enemy means for evil, the Lord means for good. We can say, Joshua 1, 9, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We can say, my Father turns my spirit of heaviness into garments of praise, my Morning into dancing, my sorrow into joy. Psalm 1 says, as I meditate day and night on his law, I'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in my seasons, that my leaf will not wither, so that whatever I do will prosper. Psalm 20 says, may the Lord grant you your heart's desire. Psalm 21, 2 says, the Lord has granted me my heart's desire. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Psalm 145, 19 says, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. Matthew 7, 7, A-S-K, ask, seek, 
knock and the door will be open for you because you know that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord I would have lost heart but I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living so wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart for those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength mount up with wings like eagles run and knock grow weary walk and not faint so we can rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus so brothers whatever things are true noble lovely just pure, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Meditate on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. For whether you're suffering or abounding, hungry or full, you can be content in all things, because you can do all things through Christ, who strengthens you. My God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of glory by Christ Jesus. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Oh, that's who our God is, man. what God is. I'm just saying. I mean, how can you be a gloomy Christian when you know that? God's your papa, man. Notice what our text says. We get to cry out to God and he listens. Listen, when you talk to God, he's listening. He's tapped into souls like the FBI is tapped into phones. He's listening. God answers knee mail. You picking up what I'm throwing down right there? So why wish upon a star when you can pray to the one who created it? True. So are you praying to the Godfather? Like, oh, God's just out to get me. He's the Godfather. He's like out to beat me. Or are you praying to Father God who's not out to beat you but out to bless you as Jesus taught? This changes the game when you know that this is how God is, that your God is your father. Because let me tell you a little secret. You can have hope even when you're going through the hardest times because life is like a piano. The black keys represent sadness. The white keys represent happiness. As you go through life, remember, black keys make music too. Now, I, I can't play the piano. I don't think there is a piano up here. I can't play all I, can, all I can play is Vanessa Carlton's Like a Thousand Miles. Do you guys remember that song? Okay, so let's say I was a piano player. If, if I only play the white keys, I, I could be a good piano player. But if I want to be a great piano player, I've got to play the black keys too. It's only when I play all the keys that I can really be a maestro, a master. In the same way, God doesn't just take the white keys of your life, the happy times, and work those major keys together for the good. He takes the sad-sounding keys, the minor keys, the black keys, and he plays them together to make an orchestral symphony with your life. He works not just the white keys, but the black keys, all things together for the good. That's what the Bible teaches, so... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10 actually says that you are God's workmanship. That word for workmanship in the Greek language is poema. Now, can anybody guess what poema means in English? Poem. Our English word poem comes from the Greek word poema. The Bible says we are God's poem. 
We are his live-action poetry in motion, and he's playing the black keys in our life, working together this beautiful symphony as we call him Abba, Father. So how many of you are Golden State Warriors fans? Do we have any Golden State Warriors fans? I love Steph Curry, man. That guy's bomb.com. They say he's the best shooter ever, man. Listen to this. Imagine, imagine if Steph Curry was playing basketball at the gym here at camp, and he said, hey, you're on my team. You'd say, well, listen, I, I'm like a tragic player, man. You don't want me to be on your team. I'm terrible. But imagine if Steph Curry said, listen, our whole game strategy is just give the ball to me. Now, it doesn't matter if he takes the worst players here, and I would be one of the worst players here. We're going to be more than conquerors through Steph Curry who overcomes the other team. In the same way, you can know that God, man, he's not only like a musician working together all things for the good as poetry, the black keys making a symphony, but he's also this like, he's also this great warrior, this great athlete. A lot of times the Bible will compare Christianity to both war and athletics. The Bible talks about running in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It talks about wrestling. It talks about boxing. Paul says, I don't shadow box. I make my punches count. So, so God often will compare Christianity to sports. In this analogy, God, God's like Steph Curry, man. He's just crossing people over, breaking ankles. He's all wet, splashing threes. He's dunking all over people's faces, posterizing them. And I say, God, I'm on your team. He says, congratulations, you're more than a conqueror through me who has overcome the world. It's not about who you are. It's about whose team you just so happen to be on, friends. So even if you feel like you're the one causing the tragedy or failure in your life, I know that if God is for me, nobody can be against me. Because even when... The tragedies and the hard times and the failures in our lives are our own doing. I want to tell you, we're in really great company if we feel like failures. Did you know that Elijah was really moody? Jonah went in the opposite direction God called him to preach him. David had an affair and indirectly killed his own mighty man Uriah through murder. Peter denied the Lord when a little girl peer pressured him. Paul the Apostle was the greatest persecutor the church had ever seen, yet these are like the titans we venerate. It's interesting, the same is true in history. Did you know that Vincent van Gogh sold only one painting in his entire life? No wonder he chopped off his ear, man. In fact, my favorite Van Gogh painting, I have, it, I have a copy in my office, it's called A Starry Night. Have you guys ever seen A Starry Night by Van Gogh? Do you know he painted that from an insane asylum? He went crazy. Because he wasn't selling any pa one painting in his whole life, and that was only months before he killed himself. You know Harrison Ford, man, can't wait for him to reprise his role as Han Solo. I just got to throw that in there again. You know Harrison Ford, after his first small movie role was taken into an executive's office and told that he would never make it in the movie business, and he's Indiana Jones and Han Solo. He was told, you're never going to make it in the movie business, man. I mean, who do you want to talk about? Thomas Edison was told by his school teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything. I think I actually told you guys last year that Walt Disney was once fired by a newspaper editor because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Do you remember that? It's like, man, I want to be in their company any day of the week and twice on Sunday. But friends, remember, it's not about how high we climb. It's about how high we bounce back when we hit the bottom. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue on that counts because in your father's eyes, you are a star. 
I'm serious. In the Father's eye, you are a star. You can be confident of that today. Why? Philippians 2.15. Paul the Apostle says that we live in a wicked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights. Now, can we get a little deep for a second again? That word that Paul uses for lights in the Greek is phosteres. Think of like phosphorescence or photons, phosteres. That's the same word that the author of the Septuagint uses in Genesis when he says that God put the sun and the moon in the sky. When it says that God hung the great lamps, the heavenly lights, the word in the Greek language is phosteres in Genesis in the Septuagint. Paul hijacks that word and says, you shine as phosteres in a wicked and perverse generation. In other words, in other words, the darker the heavens are when you turn off all the street lights, all the headlights, all the car lights, all the building lights, the darker a night is, the more the phosteres the stars and the moon shine up in heaven. So too, God from heaven sees that the darker a world is, the more wicked and perverse a generation is, the more his phosteres shine. So we don't have to complain about how dark our life is, how dark our family is, how dark the world is. We can use the darkness as a backdrop against which we shine all the brighter. We are phosteres. That's the word used for the heavenly lights. Daniel 12.3 says, listen, those who are wise will shine like stars forever in heaven. Yes, Taylor Swift is a pop star. Yes, Steph Curry is a basketball star. But you are a kingdom star in the eyes of God. So you have hope. So friends, this changes our attitude about life as we slowly draw to a close. Because a bad attitude's like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. But I read a statistic recently that just gives us so much joy knowing that God is our Father on this Father's Day, beginning of Camp Sunday. I read this stat recently that happiness increases by 10% on Fridays. That's what researchers are finding, that happiness increases by 10% on Friday. Now check this out. Did you know that the Bible says that the Lord is your Sabbath? He is the master or the Lord of the Sabbath. Now what's the Sabbath day? It's a day off. Why does happiness increase by 10% on Friday? Because you know you get Saturday the day off the next day. In the same way, you don't just have to wait for Saturday to come. You don't just have to wait till Friday night till your happiness increases by 10%. You can say the Lord is my Sabbath. He is my day off every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So Hebrews 3, 18 and 19 says, through belief in God, I can enter into the rest. So, because we're talking about fathers today, let me tell you one more story about my dad. One time, my dad was in an airplane, and the pilot looked back at the cabin and said, we're probably going to crash. And the reason he said that is because they were flying over treacherous mountains, and the wings were freezing over. And it looked like they weren't going to have a safe landing, and the pilot warned the cabin that they might not, they might not make it. Well, Upon hearing this news, do you know what my dad did? He took a nap. Now, afterwards, I said, Dad, how could you take a nap when you heard that you might die? Now, miraculously, the Lord guided the plane to a safe landing. My dad said, Ben, the reason I could sleep on the plane was for two reasons. Number one, I knew that if I died, I was going to heaven, so I might as well enjoy the ride. 
if I'm going down, I'm going up. If you're picking up what I'm throwing down, because at the place of the skull, he crushes the skull of the serpent, the Lord of lords and king of kings puts death to death. So why would I be scared to death of death? Number two, I had a speaking engagement, so I was pretty sure God wanted me to be there. Those were his two reasons. I thought, okay, that's so cool. My dad's falling asleep in a storm in the sky. And I want you to parachute with me from that storm in the sky all the way down to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, 680 feet below sea level. It's at a dip in the earth's surface known for its sudden storms because it's surrounded by hills that funnel in these winds that cause great tempests to explode. Jesus was in the middle of a storm. And like my dad on that airplane who was resting in his heavenly Abba. Do you remember what Jesus was doing during his storm? What was Jesus doing when he was in a storm with his disciples? He was sleeping, man. He was just a citizen of the land of Nod. Sawing logs, snoozing away. The disciples say, Master, don't you care that we're dying? And what does Jesus do? He like, oh, works the kinks out of his back. Rubs the sleep out of his eyes. And the Bible says he rebuked the storm. That word rebuke in the Greek language is the same word Jesus used when he would rebuke demons. It means be muzzled. Just like he had power over Satan, he had power over the storm. He said, be muzzled. He rebuked the storm, and the storm quieted down. The disciples said, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And then Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I didn't say we should go to the middle of the Sea of Galilee and sink. I said, let's go over to the other side. Friends, when you're in a storm, you can relax and find rest and have your happiness increase by 10% because happy are those people whose God is the Lord. You can sleep because you know that if God calls you to it, he will bring you through it. You picking up what I'm throwing down there? You can get excited. That's okay. We're here to party, man. We're here to party for the kingdom of God. This is my second and final closing. At my home church, I have like eight closings, but this is really my last closing. Maybe today you're here and you're like, well, okay, I can rest in my father. I have joy in my father, sure. But the thing is, Ben, is if God's really my father, why did he allow that girl to break my heart? Maybe you're 18 and you asked that girl out on a date. You really like her. In fact, maybe you went to that girl's dad and you said, hey, could, could, I, could I be with your daughter? He's like, No. And you just said, why you got to be so rude? I'm going to marry her anyway. I I don't know. So maybe you went up to this girl and you're like, my name's Will. God's Will. You're like, is your name Faith? Because you're the substance of things hoped for. Like I was reading the book of Numbers and I realized I don't have yours. So Maybe. Maybe she said, please take a long, hard look at your textbook because I'm history. And you're like, oh, man, this stinks. She, she doesn't, if God was my father, if he really cared about me, why did, why did she break my heart? Because, friends, I'm, I'm 27 now, and I guarantee you that when you get to my age, you're going to look back and say, God, thank you that you didn't work out that relationship because if you did, this would have been the smallest handcuff in the world. But now I can say, when God puts you together with that perfect person, you're going to be able to say, this isn't the smallest handcuff in the world. This is my precious. 
In the same way, you can know that, that when a door closes, it's because the Father wants to open up a better one. Every exit is an entrance somewhere else. Father knows best. When your plans don't work out, it's because your Father has better ones. So let's be game changers, world shapers, risk takers, history makers for the kingdom of God. Let's not tell God how big our storm is. Let's tell our storm how big our God is. Like Jesus in the storm and like my dad in the sky. Listen. Like Jesus in this storm, we can simply sit back and relax because every setback is a setup for a comeback. And just because we go through hell doesn't mean we have to smell like smoke. We might be at our rope's end, but we're not at our hope's end. We might be knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We might lose a battle, but we're not going to lose the campaign. If God is for us, nobody can be against us. So happy Heavenly Father's Day. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you're the best. We want to wish you a super happy Heavenly Father's Day as we go our way with hope and rejoicing. And uh, we pray that this would be an epic week. In Jesus' name, let's all welcome Barrett. We love you, Barrett. Come on up.